Good morning. You know, there's something on my heart today as I prepare for this message and, and just our day to day. And we live in a society that is so um, consumed with comfort that I think we've, um, we often miss the blessings that come with stress, with difficulty, with even tragedy. Um, God moves in those times. God works incredibly through those times. You know, um, we're in this series called Asking for a Friend, and today we're dealing with a heavy topic, the topic of why do bad things happen to good people. Now, this is a question that's come up in all of our minds. It's a question that's been in our conversations. We've had times that we've talked about this among our friends and families. And, you know, I found in my life, this is a tough topic to face, and this is a, a challenging passage we're going to look at today, interesting passage. And I found that when, when you have to face something hard, it's better to run at it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 13. That's where we're going to be today. And let's stand together and let's look at this passage. And let's just run at this topic today and, um, and tackle it. Verse 1, we're, we're going to 1 through 5 today, verses 1 through 5. Jesus' teaching, and it says this, there, there, were some, there were some present at the very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, you know, we, we know what it's like uh, in our country to face tragedies like this. What an interesting moment. These, these two tragedies that are mentioned are, are basically lost in history. Um, no other place do we find these stories written about. And, and it makes sense. Uh, that's not a problem biblically to, to go, well, no other historian referenced these things. These are just one of those moments that happen. And, and there's all kinds of tragedies that happen. Like, like uh, there, there, are, there are big moments like what happened in 1995 in Oklahoma? I remember where I, uh, when the Murrah building happened. I mean, that was tough for us, uh, for our family. Robin and I each had an uncle in the building, uh, the Murrah building, that, and they both lived. But, but there were people that we cared about that died. Um, uh, Mickey Maroney, who is a, one of my youth workers, our youth workers in Oklahoma City uh, at our church, he died in the Murrah building. Uh, man, he's an incredible godly man. And then, then uh, Terrence Kelsch, who was a former deacon here, his sister was killed in the Murrah building. And, and, and so if you were around, if you were alive back then, you know about those. You experienced that with, with us. Um, and then I remember when the, when the towers fell. I mean, some of you are young and don't, weren't, weren't alive then, but I was about, it was a Tuesday, and I was about to make a presentation to staff at Council Road, and, and uh, 
and we're getting ready for staff meeting, and we were all gathered around the TV going, oh, my goodness. And then when that first tower fell, we thought, oh, we were speechless. Couldn't believe it. And, um, and you know what? It's normal to wrestle with this why question. And, and we've done it all through our lives. Why, why did that happen? Where was God when that happened? Why, why do tough times come? And, and you know, here's, here's the point. There, there, there's a lot of uh, bad preachers throughout history that have basically just taught bad things, things that aren't in the Bible. And, and, and we're fascinated by tragedy, aren't we? Like when tragedy happens, we're fascinated, but, but it's during times of tragedy. I want you to think about this. During times of tragedy, the fruit of your faith will be revealed and it'll make a huge difference in how you face terrible moments. Now, point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Every life is mixed with highs and lows and the normal every day, right? That's every life. This is philosophical. This is theological. This is practical. Every life is mixed with highs and lows. Every life has a normal every day. Face and embrace all of it. And that's something we have to do. It's like Robin and I, we have this habit, and we did it as our kids were growing up, and we still do it today, even though our kids are gone. Um, out of our house. um, We'll say, what's your high and low today? Because every day has some highs and has some lows. This is life. And I think it's interesting as as you look at chapter 13, look at this passage. There there were some present. Look at verse 1. There were some present at the very time he told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. This was a terrible moment. This was an unjust moment. And, and though we don't know that, and we don't have a history record to look back on, the people that Jesus were teaching, talking to, they, they, they go, oh yeah, we remember that. That was in the, that was well known, that Pilate did that. And I think that it was a natural question people were asking that, do, do, were these Galileans worse than other Galileans? No, Jesus said. But many references, look at verse verse. Uh, four, uh, when he referenced the, the, the people of Siloam, they, there was a tower that fell and, and, and these people were killed. Were, were they worse than other people? That ha- I mean, no. These are tragic stories. And, and in two times, I think it's important to notice that, that, that Jesus makes his point. Look at his point in verses three and verse five. He says, no, no, these are not worse people. These are not, uh, they didn't deserve these things. He goes, he goes no, but, but unless you repent, look at verse three, unless you repent, you'll perish too. And then he says again, verse five, look, no, no these people in Siloam that were killed, no, they're not worse, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. You know what Jesus is pointing to? The fact that, Life is going to end for all of us. And, and you know, it's, life is full of highs and lows and normal every day. But, but here's, the, here's what's happening in all of our lives. We're going to walk through that door. We all will. And it's, I don't know if you've seen the reports, but they, uh, there was a report recently that came out about the lifespan in the United States of America. It's decreased by a couple of years. 
Look, the Bible tells us that the lifespan is the lifespan. And here's where we are in American culture, in our modern society. We actually, there's a lot of people that think that someday there's going to be some cure for whatever I have, and we're not going to die. Um, I, I love Rick Cusio's story. Rick Cusio's MacGyver of our church. And, and, uh, and, and one day, a guy came to Rick and said, would you design me a coffin that I can put this gas on in so that when I die, uh, I'm going to sell it to really rich people that when they die, they can be put in here and then they'll be brought back to life. Hey, we, we're, none of us will get out of here alive. The lifespan is the lifespan. And what Jesus is saying is what's most important. Do you realize that survival of the next day is not your greatest need? Your greatest need is Christ. Your greatest need is Jesus. Repentance is the greatest need for every person. And, 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 and tragedies come. And, and Jesus has told us about this. He's prepared us for this. He's, he's revealed this. And, and these, these preachers, I, I just don't want to be one of those that fall into that trap of saying, look, I just want to encourage you and, and make you feel good. Look, there are times that we will face stress that doesn't feel good. There are times that we will, we will face challenges that are really hard. Jesus said in John 16, a great verse to memorize where he says, I've told you these things that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. And I think it's very interesting as you, as you look at what the message here that Christ is saying and, the, and what he's communicating. And now if you look at chapter 12, just a chapter over, you see he had just told the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that story? It was a parable. This, this little verses one through five is stuck in between all the parables that Luke recorded. And he just kind of mentions this interaction of Jesus in this crowd. But he had just talked about the parable of the rich young ruler. And if you look at chapter 12, 12 verse 20, uh, that's that story that God said to the rich young ruler that was confident in his own stuff, in his own power, in his own uh, accomplishments. He says in, in Luke 12, 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. So then who will get what you have prepared? Then you and who will get what you prepared for yourself? This guy was trusting in all this stuff. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to die tonight. And then a few, just in 13, 1 through 5, he again brings to the point, look, we're all going to walk through that door. Repent. And we know Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed for a man wants to die. And after that, face judgment. So, Look, tough times come. And, and, and look, in times of stress, in times of difficulty, God's at work. And this is what the Bible reveals. There's two chapters I want you to write down, Psalm 13 and Psalm 77. These are two of my favorite psalms. Because in these psalms, you see the, in Psalm 13, the, David is the, the writer of Psalm 13, and, and it's so very honest. And, and then Asaph is the writer of Psalm 77, and it's so very honest. When I first read those psalms, I thought, oh my goodness, why do they have that in the Bible? Both of those psalms start with this really difficult 
really honest question to God going, have you failed? Have your promises failed? God, have you messed up? A summary of the beginning of those Psalms is basically, God, I think you've dropped the ball here. And I, I used to, I remember when I first read that, I thought, oh my goodness, that's pretty bold. Well, who, who's writing this? And I dug into it. David wrote Psalm 13. And he's a man after God's heart. You know what it tells me? That God can handle all of our questions. That he wants us to come and be honest with him. Asaph's the same way. He wants us to, he, I mean, Asaph was, was bold in, in asking God some really difficult questions, but God wants us to be honest with him. But notice the pattern. I don't want you to miss the pattern in Psalm 13 and Psalm 77, because what you see in this pattern is they go from being very angry, being very hurt, being very confused. But then David ends in five and six in chapter 13. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise because he's been good to me. Then look at what Psalm 77, 11 and 12 says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You know what they did? In the midst of their questions, in the midst of their difficult circumstances, they start recounting how God has moved. And I want you to know something. This is a very important pattern. When you're facing questions like, why am I going through this difficulty? Why is this tough time coming? Be honest to the Lord, but then sit down and start writing out how God has moved in history, how God has moved in your history. And I'll tell you what, you find strength. But recognize that highs and lows and normal every day is just part of life. And point two, you see the writers of Psalms doing this. You see this pattern in Scripture that turning to Jesus is always the right choice. It always is. Now, um, you know, this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Let, let's try to tackle it. I want to give you three reasons. But, but before I give you the first one, I, I want to just remind you about a doctrinal belief that we hold. You know, we, 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 we believe in the scriptures and we believe that the scriptures reveal the kingdom of God is, is, is our destination, that God is bringing his kingdom to earth, but, but this kingdom will one day be in heaven forever in glory. And you know, in our Baptist faith and message, we, article nine talks about the kingdom of God. It says this, that the kingdom of God includes both his general sovereignty over the universe and his particular kingship over men who willingly acknowledge him as king. Now let's think about this, that, that God is in charge of everything. God is at work. It's called the providence of God, that God is moving in the world, but God is particularly involved in the details of your life and my life in the life of every human being. And that's why it says in Hebrews 9, it's appointed for a man once to die. And after that face of judgment, God sees you, God knows you, God knows every human being, and he's at work. This document, this, this doctrinal statement says this, particularly the kingdom of God is the realm of salvation into which men enter, a, enter by trustful, childlike commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't miss, don't miss that. We come to Christ with a faith, a childlike faith. 
Christians ought to pray and to labor the king, that the kingdom may come and that God's will be done on earth. And, and this is what we pray. The full consummation of, of the kingdom awaits the return of Christ in the end of this age. And see, all through Jesus' teaching, he pointed humanity that there's going to be an ending of, of this life on the earth. And when this life is over, it's not the end. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he said, look, this tragedy's in Siloam. This, this tragedy with the Galileans, look, life is going to end. Your greatest need is not survival tomorrow. Your greatest need is a relationship with Christ and forgiveness. But why do bad things happen to good people? Now, now in this passage, you see the, 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 the first reason. And it's a natural response. And it's the the popular response, the most, the most um, utilized response as to why bad things happen to good people. And the first one is this, the punishment principle. These people, that, that's a reason for evil. Why does evil exist? Well, some, sometimes evil comes because it's a result of punishment of some kind. That's what, that's what the people that were asking Jesus this question assumed, that, that hey, these people probably died because they deserved it. And you know what? That's, that wasn't the case in these two situations, but that is a biblical response to why do bad things happen to good people. We see this in all through the scriptures. Let me give you one example. Second Chronicles chapter 12. That's the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And, and, and you know, God used David to tell Solomon, Solomon, follow the commands of the Lord and you'll be, you'll, you'll go, it'll go well for you if you follow the commands of the Lord. Rehoboam didn't do that. He rebelled against the Lord. Solomon had some rebellion against the Lord. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, rebelled against the Lord. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, they had rebelled against the Lord, and so there was this, this Egyptian guy named Shishak that was going to come, and, and, and they, they got the message from the prophet, they're going to destroy you. Well, Rehoboam repents. Lord, I'm sorry. And he goes and repents. Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And you know what? God heard his prayer. And then what's interesting is in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8, it says this. Okay, Shishak's going to come, basically. He says, they will, however, I'm going to spare your life, he says in chapter 12. But in verse 8, he reveals to him, however, you're going to become subject to him so that you may, they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. So you see that, that, you know, Rehoboam, he faced sin. He sinned against the Lord. And a result of that sin was difficulty and was trial and was tragedy. Sometimes bad things happen to people because of their own sin or maybe the sin of others. And that's one reason. But Jesus in this, in Luke 13, kind of points to, he opens the door. There are other reasons why suffering happens. Here's a second reason why suffering happens. And, and you see this in the scriptures, that, that the second reason is the redemption principle. You know that there are times that, that suffering happens, and what God does, he uses that suffering to help people see their need for Christ. I think that's something that Jesus is pointing to here. In, the, in Siloam and in the, with the Galileans, he's, he's pointing to something that's, that, that's, look, look, you need to be saved. 
And, and you know, there, there are times you and I will face difficult times, difficult circumstances, because in the midst of those circumstances, as we walk through them, as we trust the Lord through them, as we put that Psalm 13 and Psalm 77 principle into practice, the world will see Jesus. And I think it's beautiful because in heaven, uh, you know, it's interesting as Jesus rose from the dead, he could still see his scars, right? When he said to his disciples, look at the scars in my hands. Look, at, look, guys, it's me. I think that's a picture that in heaven we will have evidence of our scars on earth. I think in that we'll see glory. We'll, we'll praise the Lord for how he brought us through, how he strengthened us, how he helped us. Because, look, there are times that suffering happens and the redemption principle is at play. God uses suffering to to point people to Christ. And do you know the greatest biblical example that you see is Jesus himself? I mean, think about what Jesus himself went through. We, we looked at this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember that? He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, but what is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you receive a beating for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, for Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And it says, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When, he, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly because he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You know what you see? You see the, the, this redemption principle at play in Christ's suffering. And I want you to know there are times that we will go through very difficult circumstances, very challenging times, and God will use it to point the world to Christ. And though it's difficult on this side of eternity, in heaven we're going to be like, oh my goodness, look at what God has done. And you know, I think it's right, though it's hard, Years ago, when I stood and preached David Sullivan's funeral, and it was dear to me, and if you know my story with Justin Sullivan dying, this young man who died in my life, and, and we started a baseball ministry and seen God do all kinds of things, um, I stood at David's service as he died of cancer, and I said to his wife and to all of our friends, our dear friends, I said, you know what? David Sullivan is in heaven right now. And I guarantee you, he's already walked up to the Lord and seen how God has moved through the, through the loss of his son and through the struggles in his life. And I guarantee you, he's already said to the Lord, Lord, your plan is so magnificent. If, it, if I had to do it all over again, it'd be worth it. And I want you to know that in, there, are, there may be times that you and I will have to face suffering. And if we do, let's recognize that God uses suffering and difficulty and maybe bad things that happen to us to help the world see their need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus said, look, what's most important is that you repent. So there's a biblical punishment principle there's a biblical redemption principle. 
But there's a third reason why bad things happen in the world. And I think it's, it, it's called the incarnational principle. Now let's think about that. That's not a word we use very often, incarnational. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus was God incarnate. What does that mean? God in the flesh. That God came in the flesh. And that God showed up in the flesh. That God put skin on his, on, on his life and let us see him and let us touch him. And you know what? There are times as a follower of Christ that we will go through suffering. We will go through difficulty. And it is through those experiences, it's through those circumstances that God allows us to touch him and feel him and get close to him. You know, I've, 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 I see this in the scriptures. James says, James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and I want you to see that there are times in suffering, in difficulty, when, when bad things happen, what happens, especially to a believer, God comes close. And oh, I've lived this. You know, um, my, I'll never forget um, having to stand and preach David Valoran's funeral. And I can't explain to you the pressure that I've often felt standing to preach a funeral. But this one was just unusually devastating for me because David was one of my dearest friends. And he was killed tragically on a Friday night. He was driving on I-40 west of Yukon and uh, it's raining and a, and a car has a rollover accident in front of him. David's in the truck with his wife and two of his kids. And he sees this car roll over. So David, being David, stopped, jumped out of his truck and went and pulled this family out of an overturned vehicle. And man, I, he gets them out, gets them all squared away, puts them in his truck. They're waiting for the ambulance. And they're, they, they got them out of the car. And they're, they're in the truck and they're crowded in there with his family and the the, the dad that was shaken up, and he said, I left my cell phone in there. I need to call somebody. David goes, I'll, I'll go get it. So he starts walking to the car, and as he's walking back, a leather lady had joined him, and they're walking back in the rain, and another car has a wreck. <laughs> Hits him, kills him instantly, right in front of his wife and two of his kids. And I got to preach his funeral, the largest funeral I've ever preached. David was a principal at an elementary school. He was big leader at Special Olympics in, in Oklahoma, a huge FCA guy, dear friend. And I'll never forget the moment, standing at the stage, and I'm looking out. His family come through the back door and come walking down the aisle. I'll never forget just breaking down. Because I got to talk right after they sit down. And I said, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I start, 
I'm just up there weeping. And I'll tell you something. In that moment, they sat down and I felt the Lord just go, just fill me and strengthen me. And you know what? That was the incarnational principle, that moment that God says, Chris, I want you to know me. I'm going to walk with you. And look, there are times bad things happen to good people. And sometimes they bring it on themselves, but not every time. God uses suffering, and there are times that God will use some of the worst circumstances to help the world see who Christ is. But then there are times that God will ask you to go through one of the most, some difficult times to help you realize that you can trust him. And I want you to know something, you can trust him. See, this is not, this is a message a lost world doesn't understand. I can remember um, being at an airport one time and I was waiting and I got in a conversation with a kind of a really well-dressed man sitting there. Come to find out he's a big lawyer in Oklahoma. And, um, and he asked me what I did. And I said, I'm a, I was a youth minister. And he just was very demeaning to me. Like, you really believe that? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so, and he's was a lawyer type. No offense if you're lawyers, Andy, no offense. But, uh, but he likes to argue. Well, I'm a preacher. I like to argue too. <laughs> and I'm a tennis player. So when someone hits something at me, I hit it back. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I do believe this. And then I got a little respectfully chippy and was like, well, let's, let's lean into that. Let's talk about that. And we began to talk about that. And I was like, hey, buddy, you're going to die someday. You ain't going to make it from this life. You know, he looked at me and he said, you just need a crutch because you can't handle life. I go, hmm. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Another good verse to memorize. And I was like, well, hey, you know what? I'll never apologize for the for understanding that I need a Savior. I said, hey, buddy, uh, you need a Savior too. That's what Jesus is saying in John 13, 1 through 5, or, or Luke 13, 1 through 5. Sorry, let me get the right book. Luke 13, 1 through 5 is that, hey, life's going to be hard at times. But God's faithful, and you can trust him. And do you know how you come to Jesus? 
You come like a child. We're, we're going to have an invitation. And I want to tell you what's going to happen right after that invitation. Right after that invitation, little Amelia is going to be baptized. And I just sat over here and talked to her right before the service. I said, oh, my goodness, Amelia. I'm so proud of you. Because do you know how we're supposed to come to Jesus? Like Amelia. You go tell Amelia that God can't be trusted, she'll, she'll look at you like you have three heads. If you say to Amelia, can, Amelia, do you know you can trust Jesus? Of course I do. That's how we're to come to Christ. With a childlike faith. See, we get older, we go through some tough times, and we start to complicate things. And, and you know, the truth is, Life's going to be mixed with some highs, some lows, and just some flat-out normal. And your greatest need in your life is to come to Jesus and be saved. Has that happened to you? You might say, well, Chris, how do I do that? Well, the Bible's very clear. It's, it starts with the fact that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And this lawyer acquaintance of mine struggled with that. He didn't want to admit that I'm a sinner, but that's just the truth. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. But the good news with all that is that God demonstrated his love for you in this, that even though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He really did. And, and he tells us that, look, if you... If you stay like my lawyer friend, going, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a Savior. Oh, you know what the Bible says? That, oh, you're in trouble. That's what Jesus said in Luke 13. Oh, look, you need to repent. And, and you know that the, there's a gift. The gift of God is extended. Where we're living in these days of grace when, when the invitation, the door is open to come to Jesus. Notice that that door will close because none of us are promised tomorrow. That door may close for you. And, and you know what? Some people say, oh, well, you're trying to scare everybody. Into, Look, if you don't know Jesus, you ought to be scared. You really should. And it's foolish not to be. But, but look, you don't come to Jesus out of fear. There's a gift. And it's a gift of forgiveness. It's a gift of relationship. And, and you know what? I don't want you to miss that experience with the Lord. That, that it's not that we're, I'm going to be exempt from difficult times. It's that God is going to hold my hand and walk me through the most challenging of circumstances. That's what God does for us. That's what he does for you. That's what he could do for you. That's what he wants to do for you. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll, you'll be saved like Amelia's been saved. This little precious little girl.
been saved? Oh, have you, have you been saved? You could. You, could. you know, the swingles are going to be down front with me today. Craig and Tammy, come on. And maybe you need somebody to pray for you, pray with you. David Colleen, y'all come down too. Maybe you just need more than that. Maybe you need somebody to just pray for you. And if you're a lady and just want a lady to pray for you, Tammy and Colleen are up here. Maybe you need somebody to come pray. Craig's going to go back over here now. So. Hey, what I love about this moment is we can be real. And that's so critical. Um, if you need Christ, that's why God put our church here. Maybe you need to just bring some fears to the Lord. You can. Maybe you're going through a tough time and you just need to see him. Turning to him is the right thing. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, I, I love you and I thank you for the, how practical and real your word is. I thank you for how clear it is. And I pray that today your Holy Spirit would move among us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to difficult circumstances. And so would your Holy Spirit move us even now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Our altars are open. We invite you to come.